0: Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. That's Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 following. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect... Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's welcome Dr. Kendall.
1: Is God trying to get your attention? Are you conscious of something going on in your life? And could it be God is trying to get your attention? Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue, that I will be your transparent instrument to convey all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be clear simple. And I pray that this will be a wake-up call for someone that you have been dealing with. You're trying to get their attention. And may this word be the vehicle that turns that person around. May this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Back in August of 1956, I went through a trial that I hadn't counted on. Some months before, I was on top of the world. God was with me. I thought in a wonderful way. I was pastor of a little church in Tennessee, a student at Treveca Nazarene College in Nashville. And uh, I was convinced that God was going to use me in a powerful way. But in August 1956, my world collapsed. My grandmother who had given me a brand new car, took it back. My father felt that I had become a shame to the family. My friends deserted me. And as I lay on the bed that August afternoon, I said, Lord, What is going on? Nothing is going according to plan. In that moment, I had the impression I should turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, not knowing what it said. I got my Bible, and here is the way it read in my little New Testament, King James Authorized Version. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receives. Well, that was my introduction to the teaching that I want to share tonight. Now, the version that Bruce read says, Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That was the King James Version. Most modern versions say, Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Uh, It comes from a Greek word that partly means enforced, learning. When God is trying to get your attention and has not succeeded, so he goes from plan A to plan B to get your attention. And I cannot help but think that there's just one person that needs this. I can get motivated to preach a sermon if I think only one person needs it. When I know that there's a person present, for example, that's not a Christian, years ago at Westminster Chapel, uh, when anybody sent word back into the vestry, there's someone here tonight uh, that I'm bringing that's not a Christian. Uh, I always preached better. and um, But I don't have any information like that tonight, except that I have a feeling someone here, God is on your case. now. What I saw in that afternoon, when I turned to Hebrews 12, 6, and it says, Whom the Lord loves, he chastened, it all opened up to me like this. I was not conscious of being in any sin at all. So it wasn't a case of God dealing with me because I'd done something wrong, but rather I saw that chastening or being disciplined is God's way of getting your attention BECAUSE HE'S NOT FINISHED WITH YOU YET. AND SO IF SOMETHING IS GOING ON IN YOUR LIFE, YOU CAN'T UNDERSTAND IT. IT'S NEGATIVE. IT HURTS. IT'S PAINFUL. DO NOT SEE THIS AS GOD GETTING EVEN. LISTEN, GOD GOT EVEN AT THE CROSS. THERE'S NOTHING THAT HE COULD DO THAT WOULD EVEN COME CLOSE to the equivalent of the blood of Jesus atoning for our sin. So don't imagine, because something has happened uh, that's negative, uh, you've done something wrong, and God is now paying you back. Wrong! God got even at the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ satisfied the justice of God once for all, And the moment we transfer the trust that we had in our good works to what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can be assured that we are saved and saved forever. Well, then why does God let things happen to us that can be very negative? Well, He does punish us, but not to get even, But in order to bring us to the kind of relationship he wants us to have. And the big thing that you should take from it is God would not chasten you unless there's a future for you. He's not finished with you yet. And that's the thing I want to get over. Now, mainly... Chastening can be understood as God hiding his face. If you don't know what that is, let me try to explain. There are times when God seems to answer prayer. Every time you pray, you feel good. Things are happening. Open doors. Meeting people. You're encouraged. And it just is a good feeling. But then there are times when this all changes. You hit a wall and you cry out, God, what is this? This can be understood as what the psalmist and the writers of the Old Testament and new refer to as God hiding his face. So that is at the bottom of all chastening and disciplining. Now, God can hide His face because, for example, there could be sin in your life that you are not aware of. And God has to do something to wake you up. Now, you've heard me say that when we are asleep, we don't know it until we wake up. And when you are asleep spiritually, you're not aware of it. And then God gives you a word a word fitly spoken, just when you need it, and you think, I didn't realize how much I needed that. And when you are asleep, you do things in your sleep you would not do if you were awake. And so when you are in what we would call a backslidden state, you're asleep spiritually, you begin to indulge in things that used to bother you, but they don't bother you anymore. And then it takes a wake-up call to make you see this. So what I would hope is this word tonight is directed for someone for whom this pit fits perfectly. But then there's another thing I want to say. The hardest thing in the world for us to see is our self-righteousness. It's easy to see self-righteousness in someone else. It is so hard to see it in yourself. And only the Holy Spirit can make you see this. I know what it is to see people that I think, if only I could say something. And there have been times when I made a delicate attempt and it it just backfired. You can't make another person see that they're self-righteous. Only God can do that. And it just may be that there's someone here that, You're not aware at the moment that you're smug. Uh, You're like those in the church of the Laodicea. Neither cold nor hot. Lukewarm. And God hates it. He would rather you be cold or hot. But as it is, he says, it makes me sick. And he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. And the trouble with the Laodiceans was they said, we're rich. We're increased with goods. We have need of nothing. Let me put it another way. Maybe you've heard the expression, you can always tell a successful person, but you can't tell them much. They know it all. Never will forget a number of years ago, there was this particular preacher that uh, I got to know fairly well, and I felt that I had a word for him. And I I made an attempt to to give him a word. And uh, he said, R.T., why should I, this is when I was at Westminster Chapel, why should I listen to you when you preach to a few hundred and I preach to thousands? And I thought, well, there you go. You can always tell a successful person, but you can't tell them much. And when things are going well for you, money coming in, Your financial needs are met, you feel good physically, everything, you're on a roll. You see, you're like the Church of the Laodiceans, you've got need of nothing. You're just doing so well. And I think there's someone here, I have no idea, but there's someone here, you need this word. Now, in the case of these Hebrew Christians, they were aware of things not going right. They were in a very discouraged state. These Hebrew Christians, we know that because in chapter 10, the writer says, uh, do not give up. Uh, Do not throw away your confidence. Uh, It will be rewarded because they were very discouraged. For one thing, they had been waiting for vindication. They were convinced that by now, they would be vindicated. Now, here's what I mean. We're talking about Hebrew Christians. Not many Jews came to Christ. Are you aware of that? I'm aware. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And more after Peter and John uh, performed that miracle. But then from then on, they turned to Gentiles. Not many Jews. And those Jews that had turned to Christ said to the fellow Jews who made fun of them, Just you wait the temple will come down and that will show you that Jesus got it right because He said that before this generation is fulfilled, the temple will come down. There will not be one stone left on another. Well now, as far as we know, this epistle was written in the mid-60s. And at that time the temple was standing. The sacrificial system in place, even if Ichabod was written over the temple, so to speak, the glory is departed, you couldn't tell it by what was going on. Judaism was thriving, there was no evidence of judgment. And so, those Jews who had paid a price for being a believer in Jesus, the Messiah, were looking so stupid, and there was no vindication coming, and they were discouraged. Numbers were dwindling. We know from chapter 10, verse 26, he had to say to them, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. How do you feel when you go to church and there are fewer every week? Fewer every week. You know, whenever the pastor says, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. You know, they're all discouraged. They're trying to encourage them. But when there are big numbers, people feel good. Well, it was the case when these Hebrew Christians met, fewer every week showing up, and from what we can gather, signs and wonders had diminished to a great extent. Uh, there was a time, well, the church was born in signs and wonders, people being healed, the miraculous, but that wasn't happening, and so they were discouraged, and so They didn't know what to make of it. This is why the writer says, in verse 5, you have forgotten that word of encouragement, the Greek word also means exhortation, that addresses you as sons. Now, here is what the writer teaches in these verses. The first is, if you are being chastened, accept it. He says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. If something is going on in your life right now, God is hiding his face and something is not happening that you thought would happen. You thought by now you would have this answer to prayer. You thought by now that prophetic word would be fulfilled. You thought by now you would have this job. You thought by now you would have met this person. And you cry out, how long? How long? And that's why the writer says, if this happens, you must accept it. Don't complain. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. That's the first thing. So when something negative happens, don't complain, but just say, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not going to give up. You've got a plan. You've got a purpose. Now that's what God likes. He wants you to do that. But then, the writer says, it is a sign of God's love. Whom the Lord disciplines, he loves. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Maybe you don't feel loved at the time, and you say, well, thanks a lot, Lord. If this is your way of showing love, uh, I'm not all that happy about it. But it is just that, because those that are without this, those that are without out this are those that are not in the family. And so if you are being disciplined, good sign, you are part of a family. In fact, the writer goes on to say, it is a sign that you really are a Christian. Because he puts it like this, God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Now, I don't know if you were allowed to see any of the other services today. I have uh, I've been to all the services. I saw the one at nine o'clock, then I went home and watched it again at 11. And the lovely Chinese pastor from Hong Kong, talked about the father. And he says, is my father still alive? And I just wanted to hear it again, so I heard it twice. Then at 2.30, Scott, he spoke here today. I watched you, my son, and you were talking about fathers and learning from father and how our concept of God can be shaped by father. I just want you to know I heard you. I listened to you. Uh, we'll talk later (laughs) you know what these four men you see these four men on the road and over here Bruce that makes five Louise right in the middle of all of them do you know I pray for every one of these every day I think I've told you that Bruce I pray for you every day Gabriel Chris Christian Scott and I pray for you, too, back there. Claudette, did you know that? I pray for you every day. And since you're sitting next to the First Lady of KT, (laughs) Amanda, I pray for you every day. I pray, actually, I, I think, if I were to know the exact date, I would say over 25 years ago, maybe 30. I started praying for Colin and Amanda every day. I never dreamed I'd be here one day. But Lyndon Bowering, Colin, and I made a covenant to pray for each other every day. And then five years ago, I added the members of the staff. The point is, this is my fourth time to to be here today, so to speak, and I, too, now talking about Father. And I don't know what lesson God may wanting to teach uh, KT, But this is probably not a coincidence. You see, he talks about the father. He says, we've had our human fathers that disciplined us. Now, you see, we've all had this. It goes without saying that our human parents disciplined us. There's a difference between our human parents and our Heavenly Father. You see, here's the problem with being a parent. Uh, by the way, before I get on, uh, how many are parents here? Can I see your hands? Your parents? All right. I want all perfect parents to please stand. You want, want, all perfect parents. Because if you're here, I want you to lay hands on me. <laughs> the problem with being a parent is you don't get a second chance. There's no adequate preparation. The only preparation you had is the parents you had. And we've all got imperfect parents. We all do. And uh, therefore, when we have our own family, I made a vow I'm not going to do what my father did. But you know what? I did. I would say, he did this, I'll never do that, but I did. I remember him saying to me that he vowed he would not do what his father did to him, but he did. We all think we're going to be better. We discipline, partly because people are watching us and we don't want to look irresponsible, so sometimes we will correct our children. Listen, maybe you've never done this, but I have. I'm ashamed to tell you, correct my son so somebody will see that I'm doing it and not being irresponsible and I thought after I did it I was thinking of those people this is terrible this is terrible and then when you lose your temper and you punish not good I've done it the point is God our father never corrects us because he's looking over his shoulder To see if the angels are watching, to impress anybody in the heavenlies, to say to the angels, How do you think I'm doing? No, he didn't have that problem. He never corrects us when he loses his temper. He only corrects us because he loves us perfectly and knows exactly what we need. He is the perfect Father. Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. And if you do have an image of a Father, that's not great. Maybe you had an absentee Father. Maybe you have not known your Father. Maybe your Father was horrible. It's awful to say, but maybe you had a Father that abused you. And anybody having that background... It's hard for them to make the transition. How can I respect God as Father? And there are those who won't call him Father. They'll just say, Dear Lord, or Jesus. But remember, Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. And if you want to know who is the perfect Father, just study Jesus. And remember, that's your Heavenly Father. It may be hard for you to make that transition, but that would be exactly right. Jesus never made a mistake. Look at all his relations with the disciples, with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees. One of the things that proves to me the inspiration of Holy Scripture, how when they wrote up all the stories about Jesus, you would have thought maybe on one or two occasions they get some fact wrong or show Jesus in a light that would say, ha, that shows he's not sinless. They weren't trying. They just reported. And Jesus never sinned. And remember this. If you have a bad image, when you think of Father, remember Jesus. He that has seen me has seen the Father. John 14:9. Well, the thing is, The motive of our Heavenly Father is always single. It's for one reason, and that is, according to the writer, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. Now, if what I say now surprises you, you need to hear it. But all of us are by nature opposed to holiness. None of us by nature likes, much less loves, holiness. We're congenitally opposed to it, we're born sinners. And the sin nature is with us. It is not eradicated by length of time of being a Christian or making 20 trips to the front or have people lay hands on you. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked who can know it. 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Therefore, we don't want holiness. We just don't like it. It's a lot, here's an example, a lot easier to watch television than to read your Bible. A lot easier to read the newspaper than it is to pray. These things, you come from your mother's womb speaking lies. And as long as we live, we have a Heavenly Father who does what it takes to get our attention that we might come into a higher level of holiness. And that is his motive. But then when he comes to the conclusion of this section, he says something that's rather obvious. Uh, He says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been Trained by it. I know what it is for God to have to chasten me because I was so self-righteous. I couldn't have seen it until he dealt with me in such a way. And then when I saw what he had to do, it was so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. And I think, Lord, why haven't you shown me this before? But you see, as we walk in the light... The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin, and that sin includes sin in us that we're not aware is there. There is that in us that will expose itself maybe two weeks from now. And when that happens, you think, I can't believe this would happen to me at this age. Here I am, almost 83 years old, and would you believe that in the last week, in the last week, I saw something that I needed so much, and I think, Lord, you could have shown me this 40 years ago. I don't know why you didn't do it, but it's so humbling. Maybe that's part of the reason I felt led to come up with this sermon for this occasion. But the point is, it is painful. Now, there are three kinds of chastening, three kinds of enforced learning in this order internal external terminal internal that is plan a that is what is happening now now internal chastening that's the way to get your problem solved when the preacher gives you the Word, and you accept it. The Bible says that the Word of God is like a two-edged sword, piercing the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And so plan A is when God operates through His Word. And sometimes, I can't guarantee that this would happen, I just hope it will happen for one tonight, Because I think God is on the case for at least one person. And when you hear this, it will hurt a bit. You think, "Mm, hmm, that's smart. That's not very easy to take. If that is happening, that's the Holy Spirit. That's plan A. And instead of resisting it and rejecting it and saying, well, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. Be very careful. Plan A is the best way to have your problem solved. Do you know the old hymn? What more can he say than to you he hath said, unto you who for refuge to Jesus hath fled? The Word. Read the Bible. Listen to it. In the hymn today, God may speak through a hymn. Plan A, or a gentle, loving rebuke from a friend. Someone who says, I'm so sorry, but I, I feel like I must say this to you. Now, that's hard to do. Whenever I have a word for somebody, I, it scares me to death. Because I think, I don't think they're going to like this. And I remember having a word for somebody very, very well known, and I decided I would fast that day uh, because I I was so nervous. I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to do it. And uh, maybe someone lovingly says, I have something. I really need to say this to you. And if you know they're not trying to get at you, they're not wanting to make you feel guilty, but they love you and they're worried, Plan A, internal chastening. Take it with both hands. Plan B, that's external chastening. Plan A, through the Word, reaching your heart. Plan B, external, what's outside. Maybe God will put you flat on your back. Maybe it will be financial reverse. Maybe the withholding of vindication. Maybe when you lose your job or you lose a friend. We could go on and on. See, these Hebrew Christians were being chastened not because they'd done anything wrong but because they needed to know that god wasn't finished with them yet and that the best was yet to come and remember this plan b painful though it is is something you should take with both hands when you realize that you're in this situation and god has put it that way Instead of arguing back, say, Lord, I accept this. Thank you. Thank you. Show me the next step forward, what to do. And this plan B, which I'm explaining through plan A by giving you the word, it may be that this word will make you see that what's going on in your life is God's way of Trying to deal with you. Now, plan C. That's pretty awful. It's terminal chastening. And there are two ways that takes place. One, it's when the ability to repent is withdrawn. It's when you become stone deaf to the Holy Spirit and you never hear God speak again. People around you say, wow, that was amazing. And you say, I didn't get a thing out of that. Be very careful on a situation like that. It's like those in Hebrews 6. They were unable to repent. They were converted. It says they tasted of the heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted of the good word of God, powers of the world to come, They were not only converted, they had gone a long way. It's like the children of Israel. They saw the manna. They crossed the Red Sea. They'd seen the miraculous. And God says, I swear in my wrath, you will not enter my rest. And that can happen. For a Christian who doesn't hear God speak anymore, it's terminal chastening. But there's another kind of terminal chastening. And that's when God says, sorry. Your time is up. I want to read to you now from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a discussion of the Lord's Supper. When Paul says to the Corinthians, because you have abused the Lord's Supper, things are happening. Now here's what went on in Corinth. In those days, church wasn't held in a building like this. They met in homes. And from what we can gather from the situation in Corinth, it was a wealthy Christian who had a large home, and Christians would come there. And when they would come there, they would come to worship the Lord, the Lord's Supper with the bread and the wine. Well, there were the poor Christians who were the waiters, the ones that cleaned toilets and hotels, And they didn't get to the service until maybe, let's say, nine o'clock in the evening. Whereas everybody else got there six o'clock, seven, they ate together and then did the Lord's Supper. And then the poor Christians who had to work late, they arrive and it's all over. And that had been going on. And the Apostle Paul is angry. And he says to them, Whoever does this, it's not the Lord's Supper you're taking. Don't even call it that. It's a disgrace. And so he says, here's the thing. You have despised the church of God. You humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not. And then he reminds them what the Lord's Supper is. And then he says, anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner... Now, that has been a difficulty for many, and there's a sense in which we all feel unworthy. But that's not what he means, because if you feel unworthy, it's a pretty good sign it's okay for you to partake of it. He's he's worried about those who felt no sense of sin over the way they treated the poor. And so he says, you are guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body and eats, uh, uh, eats and drinks who does it, judgment on himself. And then look at this. That is why many among you are weak and sick. That's plan B. That's external chastening. And a number of you have fallen asleep. Plan C. God just said, your time is up. And then he adds, if we have judged ourselves, we wouldn't come under judgment. In other words, when you take of the Lord's table, next time you do it here, judge yourself. Ask, am I having the right attitude toward fellow Christians? Am I walking over poor people and disregarding them? Am I being smug? Am I being a snob? And he warns them. If we judge ourselves and we say, Lord, show me if there's anything in me that's not right. Show me. He says, you do that, you're not going to be judged. But he says, when we are judged by the Lord... This is proof he's talking to Christians. He says, we're being disciplined, same word, disciplined so that we won't be condemned with the world. The world's not going to get any of this at all. The world won't be chastened. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. It's a sign you're a Christian. And so here, these are Christian people. But then there were those who were condemned, even to the degree, he said, fallen asleep. It is possible for a person to come through plan C and it's too late for him. Well, you said, R.T., I thought if God chastens you, it's because he's not finished with you yet. True. These people will go to heaven. They're not lost. They're not going to go to hell. But God just takes them. And it's good news to know. Now, if you are conscious that God is dealing with you, welcome it. If there's someone here, you're conscious that you're going through plan B, maybe you're weak, maybe you're sickly, maybe it's financial averse, maybe whatever, it's something unpleasant, don't argue back. Just say, Lord, you love me, and thank you, thank you that you're not finished with me yet. So I'm asking the question, is God chastening you? Are you getting a wake-up call? Some uh, four years ago, I was preaching in a strategic church in America. I won't even tell you the state. But I was preaching a sermon on when David uh, was in exile and some of his following had brought the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, And David said, no, take the Ark back. If God wants me back to be king again, he will make it happen. David refused to take advantage of the prestigious Ark of the Covenant while he was in exile because he knew that God was chastening him. It was plan B. This is David's plan B. But David welcomed it. He said, I'm getting what I deserve. And it was wonderful to know that God hadn't finished with David. He refused to take advantage of the Ark of the Covenant and have, it, have its prestige with him. He said, no, take it back. Let's see what God does. And then that morning in that service, I'll never forget it as long as I live, I've said something like I've said here. I said, this message is for one person. I never will know who it is. Not expecting to know, but it's for one person. Well, the next day, phone call came from the pastor's office and said, R.T., we know who that one person is. So that person was here Sunday. And when you finished, he could not speak He could not move for one hour. He just sat there, numb, shaken, rigid. He has since said it was a turning point in his life because God had been dealing with him. And God wasn't finished with him yet because that man today has soared to a lofty position in the United States Capitol. That's all I'm going to say. God wasn't finished with him yet. But he accepted it. So if there's anyone here, you know if you're that person, we're not asking you to raise your hand, we're not asking you to volunteer, I'm the one. Could be that there's more than one. But to think that God loves you that much, that he would have a whole sermon just for one person. You see, God is like that. In Acts chapter 2, Peter Spoke to thousands in Acts chapter 3. It was one crippled person that was healed. And it's nothing for God to devote a whole sermon where there are several hundred people and only one person be in mind. Because God loves every person as though there were no one else to love. You don't need to go through plan C. That is why I brought this message. It's a wake-up call for somebody that is now undergoing plan B, external chastening, and I've got a feeling you know who you are. Here's the way I would pray if I were you. Nobody needs to close their eyes, but you know who you are. To say, thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for loving me so much that I would get this word. I accept what is happening. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for letting me see I'm your child. Thank you that you're not finished with me yet. Show me the next step forward. What you want me to do with my life. Cleanse me by your precious blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit in a greater measure than I've ever known. And I rededicate my life to you.